I'm Megan. And I'm Dana. And I'm Abby. And welcome back to Scary Stories to Tell Your Sister and Your Girlfriend. But a big hello hello everyone now this is kind of funny because this comes out before our campfire episode but we already recorded our campfire episode and in that one we say that's abby's first episode back with us but as maury says that was a lie <laughs> I'm so nice. They wanted me twice. <laughs> but yeah, no, we're here. We're getting a lot of episodes in ahead of time so we can be prepared and that you guys can get the stories out when we're not about. And yeah, Megan, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm really good. I'm happy it is Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm ready for the weekend. I took a long nap today and I'm upset about that, actually, believe it oh. or not. Why was it too late in the day? Well, no, it was actually earlier, but have you heard of, I forgot his first name. I think he's, his name is like Dr. Huberman. Andrew Andrew Huberman. No, no. Okay. But anyways, he has like a bunch of tips and stuff that he suggests for getting a better night's sleep and Mm -hmm. just living the best life you possibly can. And so I've been following some of his tips and one of them was like, if you take a nap during the day, you know, obviously take it earlier and don't take it for too long. So okay. I have been waking up every day at like 630 mm-hmm. and trying to get the sun in my eyes, not like in my eyes, but not like looking directly at the sun. <laughs> every day I wake up first thing in the morning, I go outside fully naked <laughs> and open my eyes and stare at the sun. Each morning I wake up. Before I put on my makeup, I stare straight at the sun. Burn out my retinas. For the people that that get sun on their buttholes. Nope. What? (laughs) You get what? Get sun on their buttholes. Like they think it's really good for you. So they like lay in their backyards and spread the the sun to get sun on their nether regions. Does this have any practical value in life? They think it does. I don't personally, I, I haven't researched it, but I can't imagine that it's good for you if you, if those nether regions are hidden already. Now, my question for you, Megan, if you find out that they say, yes, it's actually beneficial, are you laying out butt naked in the backyard? I have re- a really shady backyard, so there's no possible way I could. Okay. Shade is not a issue. I'll, I'll show it to my seasonal affective disorder uh, vitamin D lamp. <laughs> Here's the lamp. I Would you outside just because I am too much of a prude when it comes to that. Like, I just don't want to look over and like see my neighbor peeking through the 
the fence. Or... <laughs> yeah, you know, I wouldn't want that either on any day. Honestly, Real closed or clothed or unclothed, you honestly, know? Honestly, I don't know if you're going to keep this in the episode or not. I kind of hope you take it out, but I'm concerned about the amount of flatulence that would release from my body. <laughs> Are you like bending, like downward dogging? I pictured, no, I pictured me solidly in like, what's that pose? Is it happy baby or something like happy that? Happy baby's on your back. Yeah, though. that's what I picture. But you be like, just like spread out to the side <laughs> right i think that's the way they lay like like on your back ass to the sky yeah i think i saw an instagram reel about it I don't do I do look towards the sun with my eyeballs oh yeah so you're on that <laughs> somehow we got a question uh, yeah we're very off topic but i just have a quick question is that not something you normally do <laughs> It's like it, I think it's like intentional, like waking up in with intention and being Got like, it. I'm not gonna Got like it. go on my phone immediately. I'm gonna like sit <laughs> that's in the exactly, sun. Okay. That's exactly, like I am trying not to look at my phone as much, okay. although I did it quite a bit the past couple of days. I think for like research, and then sometimes you get yeah. crack, you know, that's like dopamine fill. But uh, but I will say all of these things combined have really helped me sleep and get to bed a lot better and I actually feel really good when I wake up now whereas before I was waking up and on the drive to work I was already exhausted mm-hmm. are you feeling better now yes I'm feeling way better but I took a nap today that was way too long because mom came over and you know she's like the nap queen she and is the nap queen. let's take a 20 minute nap and she said 30 and I said 25 and she said fine so we took a 25 minute nap and then I woke up at the 25 minute mark and I looked over and she was still sleeping. Mm-hmm. I said, Oh, what the heck? I'm going to treat myself mm-hmm. and a little longer. And I didn't really treat myself. It wasn't yeah. a treat. No, you felt bad about it. I did. And then I was like, kind of like groggy for the rest of the day. Oh, that's yeah. yeah. I mean, it'd be one thing if the nap like gave you like sustenance and joy post nap, but I hate when you wake up groggy because I'm the same way. If I, there's like that magic window of nap time. Otherwise I feel groggy or I feel like I'm a terrible person who's wasted any moment of my life. I know that is the worst feeling waking up for yeah. a nap. Like, well, my whole entire life's ruined now. I think it's because Abby used to be a different type of individual. And I'm still on that thing where I'm like, am I wasting your valuable time by me sleeping? And she's like, no. It used to be very productivity driven. And she's like, no, you need to focus on like, you know, your mental and physical well-being. I'm like, are you sure? But you know, it is what it is. But Abby naps sometimes too. Last week or something, she napped. Yes. Um, and she was like, yeah, I'll sleep nap for a little bit. And she's like, <laughs> and I was like, picture. I was like, hey. You just show my good picture. I will. Hold on. She was out. Like, I was like, I think like the timer went off or anything. All or nothing, baby girls. Like, the timer went off and she was like, <laughs> yes. Oh, picture of Abby sleeping. She is out. Oh, poor thing. And because of me, she's like, I, I ruined her because I have a playlist I play when oh. I sleep. And now she's like, well, you got to play the music. Like, I know. Okay. With them, with you guys, I was sleeping outside of the room uh, late night. This music, and I'm like, oh, she said she was going to bed, but like this playlist is going, and then 
Yeah, and then I realized this is the same playlist every single night. I can't sleep without it now. So funny. But speaking about waking up, Abby and I had a mindset to start waking up earlier. We haven't been doing it as much lately, but... <laughs> Like, waking up earlier to, like, get, like, a start of the day before we have to, like, leave. It was so good. Honestly, we need to go back to it. Anyway, but, like, we have to leave, like, be walking out of our apartment at 6.45 every morning. Yeah. So, we would wake up at, like, 5-something. Yeah. Like, 5. Like, 5. Like, wake up at 5 and be out of the bed by 5.15. So, my brain tells me, set your alarm for earlier. That way, you can wake up with that alarm and then be like, oh, I get more time to sleep. My alarm goes off at 4 a.m. <gasps> it's okay. That okay. works out. What? On purpose. Yes. And I say, it's 4 a.m. <laughs> I turn it off and go back to bed. We always talk about how good morning bed is, how there's nothing as comfortable as waking up in your bed in the morning. And you're like, like I could just sleep in here all day. Yeah. And like, I would tend to like wake up at like, five o'clock like oh my alarm's going off in 10 minutes that's the worst so now I'm like okay alarm will go off earlier so that way I can like (laughs) but even though we stopped doing the like full like getting out of bed and doing like make the bed and dance it out kind of thing I still am a creature of habit and I still have my alarm set at 4 a.m and I said I told Abby the other night I said every night I said I wake up at 4 a.m I go it's 4 a.m. And I say it out loud to myself. And everybody goes, I don't know. You don't tell me. I said, do you want me to tell you it's 4 a.m.? And she goes, okay. And I said, okay. And so I go, it's 4 a.m. <laughs> to her sleeping body. I think I've only been, been alive for it once. And, and I was goes, like, I got to hear it. <laughs> now, your alarm goes off or no? Yeah. My alarm goes off. Still? Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. I set my... <laughs> well, we can so easily get back to sleep. Oh, though. yeah. Like, my alarms are... And I don't even hear it. No, she doesn't hear it. My alarms are 4 a.m., 5.07, and 5.35. And then 6.15 is get your butt in gear. And then, yeah. Wow. I have one alarm. That's probably better, no, honestly. I could I not like... do that. Both this one over here who had, she has like 27 alarms. I have such bad hearing issues and I can fall asleep so easily, like to the point where I will dream in between alarms. I fall asleep that deeply. So like I need 88 just to keep reminding me like, hey, you actually have to get out of bed this time. But the thing is, she doesn't respond to the alarms. So she's 88 Dana's being like, Abby, Abby. I can just, I could tune them out. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, yeah. Kind of horrible. But you know what? We shouldn't tune out. Podcast. The podcast. <laughs> These scary stories. Because I have one that's kind of fun today. Megan, do you have a fun one today? I have. Sure. Mine today is. Sure. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> fun and frightening. Sure. We'll go with fun. I have a two-parter. And so today will be kind of like the setup. Okay. And then we'll get into the nitty gritty. But if you want me to get started first, I can do that. If you'd like to start first, too bad. I was like, I, I, I was like, I've never started first in my entire life. <laughs> I'm like, what? I started first when we started this podcast. I had to go first because I was so nervous. Yeah, and now it's like I have to. Yeah, I think I went first one time. I think maybe. I think it might have been the second episode because I think I had a two-parter. Like, oh, finish off. 
but yeah. we don't do it anymore. We don't do it that way. It's Megan goes first. Yeah. And it's just because I'm a nervous gal. It's okay. Okay. Not so much anymore, at least not with this. So yeah. That's okay. But anyways, today I'm going to be talking about Betty and Barney Hill. Have you heard about them before? Mm-mm. I have. Okay. Abby, have you? I have not. This should be fun. Oh, especially for her. I didn't sign up for any of this. <laughs> I was going to read. <laughs> All right. So this Betty and Barney Hill are a regular schmegular married couple. And the incident that occurred, I'm sorry, and an incident occurring on the night of September 19th, 1961, would push the couple into the spotlight. Their names still very well known to this day as the first majorly documented and publicized alien abduction story. All right, well, bye. Have fun recording. <laughs> <I'm ready. Yeah. laughs> and mom was here for a part of my research. And I was doing some research on watching a video on YouTube. Yeah. And she was like intrigued by it. And the part that she was listening to was a little creepy, but I'll get into that next week. So I don't want to give anything away. So let's just I need to be back for the next one too. Ooh. Oh yeah, that's right. You I have, have to prior it. obligation. Yeah. Sucks to suck, man. Oh, also guys, so you're going to get the first half today and then the next week it'll be the campfire episode. So you won't hear it, but then the week after. Yeah. But you'll have Abby all three weeks. Surprise. But it's just a it's just a treat for the you. Blessing all. for her, blessings upon blessings. Yeah, I wouldn't call it that for me, but that's okay. <laughs> so by all means, this couple lived a normal life. Barney was a black 39-year-old army veteran who worked for the postal service. Betty was a white 42-year-old social worker in oh, I meant to look this up before, guys. It's in New Hampshire, and I've heard it say I've heard it pronounced Portsmouth and yeah, Port- yep. it's Portsmouth. Okay, that's what I was gonna say. So Betty was Betty and Barney both lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. This couple, they're very active in their community, regularly attending the Unitarian Universalist Church, as well as both working for the NAACP. And let's just take a moment. To remember the time. I was going to say. Yeah. This is the 60s. No, they weren't in the South, but they definitely experienced their fair share of prejudice being an interracial couple. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I bring this up because of the story I'm going to tell you. They already feel somewhat like outsiders. And then what they experience, well, you know, that takes this to, it takes everything to a whole new level. Yeah, yeah when you said they're a regular couple and you're like yeah and like he's black i was like okay oh, and she's why is it not regular in the 60s i was, I was like i mean too. it was but like not by like the norm like it wasn't like the quintessential stereotypical yeah. and i mean not to get like all historical on like a not historical podcast in this sense but like when was virginia and loving decided what 1958 i think the so yeah marriage was legal yeah yeah not that long oh. after was did this take place? Yeah. 1951. So let's get into what happened. Wait, what year was that? 61. 61. Okay, yeah, so I think this was sorry, one second. 1967. 67, okay. So. Wow. Even beforehand, yeah. So New Hampshire probably had it, but the United States as a whole didn't. So, yeah. 
so interesting. In September of 61, Betty and Barney Hill set out on a spontaneous vacation with their dog, Delcy. Their spur-of-the-moment plan was to set out and visit Niagara Falls, then off to Montreal for a short period of time before heading back home to Portsmouth. That sounds, sounds like us. Delightful. That's exactly what we would Honestly, do with Ferris. Interracial couple. Dog. Done. Road trip. <laughs> Montreal. Perfect. Yeah. They're on their little road trip, and by the 19th of September, their vacation funds are now running low. So they planned on foregoing a hotel room that night and just kind of making the long haul straight home. And are you scared, Dana? No, I'm looking at what date this is going to, like, this one comes out, okay, this one comes out the 27th, but, okay, so the next one comes out on the okay no so no we're close to the day we'll be in september but we won't be near that oh okay, so i was yeah. thinking that and i i think abby and i were thinking about going away with our dog around that time because that's around his gotcha day so i wanted to celebrate Ooh. that but i was like <laughs> be careful i know we're in the new england area so oh my god Ooh. we're going fucking camping too <laughs> So they're driving home and they're trying to make it home without spending any more money because they don't have any. And they're hoping to be home by like 3 a.m. That's their estimated time of arrival. They were driving down an empty long stretch through the White Mountains in New Hampshire when it became apparent a light way up in the sky seemed to be following their vehicle. Barney tried to rationalize and thought maybe it was just a satellite. She's afraid. Huh? She's afraid. Oh, I'm sorry. It seems to be getting closer and closer and even brighter as they drive. They eventually decide to stop the car to get a better look. Again, they tried to rationalize the situation, thinking, well, maybe it's a plane, although there's no noise coming from it, you know, whatever maybe it's a plane i don't know i don't know but i usually hear sounds from planes soon after that the object appeared to change paths and betty and barney hill no longer felt that they were on its radar anymore so they think everything is fine and they continued their drive and just when they think all the strange stalking was over the object turns around and begins heading in their direction yet again at one point Betty noticed colored lights on the cigar-shaped craft. Red, amber, blue, and green. Now, she's thinking maybe this is some sort of UFO. But Barney is kind of annoyed at this assumption and quickly disagrees. As they drive on, they made multiple stops along the way to view the object. So it wasn't just that one stop. Like, it's it's been yeah. multiple stops now that they've looked. And... Betty is becoming increasingly uneasy and their dog Delcy now also seems to be upset. Barney stops the car yet again, but this time he goes to the back in the trunk and grabs a pistol. He gets back in the car and he continues to drive. So he's clearly a little bit freaked out. Like yeah. he wants something nearby. He's like, just in case. Exactly. So again, they're passing through the mountains and eventually they lose sight of the object only to be reunited again with it just a few moments later. Reunited and it feels so not good. That sounds better, yeah. (laughs) But not good. (laughs) 
So this cat and mouse game continues until the object finds itself in front of the hills. Of the couple, not like the mountain hills. Yeah. So Betty pulls out her binoculars and is able to see the craft a little closer this time. And she can see two rows of windows and red lights on each side of the object. She's now amazed by what she's seeing. And she's like, hey, Barney, come check this out. So he pulls over to the road and he checks it out and he takes a peek at the UFO. And now that he's getting a closer look at them, the object seems to be getting closer as well and floating like just above the tree lines. It's slowly moving over to a field to the side of them now. Undeterred, Barney heads in the direction of the vehicle. And as he gets closer, he notices he's still unable to hear any sounds coming from it. He pulls the binoculars back up to his face. Would you go closer to it? No, absolutely not. Would I go closer to it? Fuck no. <laughs> would you go closer to Yeah, Megan would, of course. <laughs> we'll see. I'll tell you my answer in a few moments. Okay. What about you? I think if, if I'm driving and I see this light following me, I'd be very much aware of it to like a uh, anxious point of view. I'd be like, okay, it's still here. It's still here. It's still here. I think if I stopped to look, I don't know if I would leave the car. I like might leave the car, but stand by it, like door open. Especially if like, especially if our dog is with us, it's like, there's somebody losing his damn You're like, no, no, you don't stop. You don't stop. You keep going. But I don't think I go closer to it. No. Okay. So I am definitely one of those people that's really intrigued by these type of things and would want to get closer, but there are so many stories of these UFOs and people coming in contact with them and then having some sort of like radiation poisoning or something. Like remember the tumble from- And your skin is so sensitive. Yes. I remember watching that one Unsolved Mysteries where like, I think it was a a mother and- Like a mother and and a small child. Like, oh yeah, it looks like you were like severely like cancerously burned almost. Yeah. 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 So that is- probably the only reason that i wouldn't go closer one of the yeah Yeah. i have a lot of them (laughs) (laughs) one mom didn't raise no fool yeah (laughs) so barney is he's not he's afraid he's definitely afraid but he's not afraid enough where he's not he's not getting out of the car he's getting out of the car and he's looking up at the object through these binoculars and he's shocked when he's able to see approximately 10 figures looking back at him the objects get closer i'm sorry the object gets closer and closer to the point that barney is now afraid he can see the humanoid type figures barney (laughs) he sees them now moving the the figures inside are moving back and leaving the window and there's one just one figure at the forefront looking directly at barney and he realizes you're mine Mm mm-hmm and he's no, he knows now this is something that's just strange. This is not normal. So he makes a beeline for the car. He's now telling Betty that he's afraid that whatever is in the craft might try and take them. They're back in the car. They're driving away from the object and they can no longer see it. When all of a sudden they begin to hear a sort of 
beeping noise coming from the back area of the car, like by the trunk. And with every beep, the car begins to vibrate and their bodies kind of tingle. They seem to be getting more and more tired and their consciousness starts to get a little fuzzy. Mm -mm. A few moments later, they could hear more beeping. But this time, they begin to regain their mental clarity. A little confused as to where they were exactly on their drive, they look around and they realize they were 30 miles from where the beeping noises had first occurred. Seriously confused and still a bit dazed, they drove the rest of the way home in complete silence. When they finally arrived home, it was after 5 a.m. Wow. And if you remember, they said they were aiming to... Two hours. Right. So even though the odd experience seemed to be over, they felt a little off because of it, and they became more aware of a few peculiarities. Both of them were wearing watches at the time, and both of their watches were now dead. And neither one of them would ever work again. The straps on the binoculars, that was completely broken, and they don't remember or you know they don't remember how it broke yeah betty's dress was ripped and had a mysterious stain on it barney had scuffs on his shoes and had this is strange an urge to check his groin the couple could not for the life of them remember what happened between those two sets of beeps they heard just a few hours ago At this point, they were exhausted and they just wanted to sleep. So they went to bed and kind of let the whole thing go. But by the afternoon, Betty was itching to tell her sister what had just happened. Yeah, I bet. How long (laughs) would you go without telling me? (laughs) I would have called you as it was happening. I know. I know she would have. Do you want to know how? Why? Because the very first time I ever heard Megan's voice was when she and Rachel were hiding in a bathtub because they thought they saw a UFO. No. Yep. I forgot that. Yes. Yep. Really, Ed? Yep. Yeah. You guys called me freaking out. I was like, this is my sister and my best friend from childhood. <laughs> this is who I am. After she got off the phone, she was like, well, that's my family. <laughs> I was like, so that's that. I was like, "Are they, were they serious? I'm like, oh, yeah. She was like, that's an alien? I was like, oh. That was the first time she talked to you on the phone. I really Abby, didn't do any of the talking. No. I just sat back in kind of like a stupor. <laughs> like, Abby, what did you think? I thought you guys were crazy. <laughs> what do you think now? I still think you guys are crazy. No, I'm just kidding. Guys, well, I don't know. It's because I was raised by the man who was like, aliens are demons. Okay, we... So, so Betty takes forever. No, Betty didn't take forever. Sorry, we're taking forever to finish this. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was the 40th. I'm leaving that part in too, just so you know. They got almost everything I've said. (laughs) So Betty, she talks to her sister and she tells her what's going on. And they were at the beginning when they first talked or when they talked after it happened about it briefly, they were like, let's just not talk about this anymore. Like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. And that's when they drove home and they were like really quiet. So... They weren't going to tell anybody. But now, obviously, she talks to her sister. It just reminds me of those jokes. That it's like, no, no, 
I'm not going to tell anyone. And it's like, that doesn't include my mom or my sister. It's true. It's so true. It's like, they're like, no. And she's like, she's like got it. Scouts on it. She talks to her sister. She's like, all right, I got that off my chest. But Barney, he's now dismissive of the whole thing. And he just kind of wants to forget about it. Betty's sister, on the other hand, now is extremely intrigued and she decides to share the information that was shared with her and consults a a physicist. And he basically is like, okay, if you want to accumulate some sort of proof, what you could do is if the craft left any sort of like residual radiation, you can use a compass near the point of radiation and if the compass reacts then there was you know contact so betty decides to grab her handy dandy compass and goes to the car she circles the car and the compass has absolutely no reaction that is until she reaches the trunk when Mm -hmm. she gets to the back of the vehicle she notices over a dozen circular dots. She remembers that that was the area that they had heard the beeping sound from. How big are the dots? They're about the size of, I think they said like a half dollar. Okay. So they're pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. Bigger than a quarter. Yeah. But she remembers, or no, the the thingamajig, what's it called? The compass. The compass starts going cuckoo-cuckoo. So she's like, okay, yeah, that's definitely proof. And then she remembers nothing. Okay. Over time, and after telling multiple people of their encounter, someone suggests that they tell the local Air Force base. And at this time, this Air Force base was taking calls from people regarding UFO sightings. And surprisingly, their call was taken seriously. And the information that they shared was passed on to those involved in Project Blue Book, which is the Air Force's section of UFO studies. But uh, that's no longer a thing. Mm, Yeah. Or is it? Totes. Big barn. Side note, Abby's, one of Abby's siblings is in the Air Force. And I always ask them, not always, I asked them like three times. I said, if... You knew something about aliens. They said, no, we would not tell you. (gasps) I said, that is not okay. Dana. I mean, good for you you for sticking to your oath. I don't think he particularly takes an oath to say that. Yeah, I wouldn't tell either. Same. Anyways. Sometime later, Betty began to have reoccurring dreams. And when she shared these dreams with a friend, the friend suggested for her to keep track of them and write down everything that she could remember because they might not be dreams, but more memories from what occurred that evening. Mm -hmm. And she did that. Now, two years go by. And during this time, the Hills have only told a select few of their encounter. But by December 1963, Barney is suffering from what can be described as PTSD. And this leads the Hills to get in touch with a psychiatrist 
named Benjamin Simon. And here is where the Hills reveal to Dr. Simon what had occurred that night on September 19th, two years earlier. Simon wasn't someone who was all about aliens and UFOs, nor was he a non-believer. He was just sort of like an unbiased, not one way or another regarding that subject. But that didn't mean he was dismissive of the Hills. In fact, he took the couple seriously. And eventually they agreed to a hypnosis session or a few, which was something Simon was very experienced with. And Dr. Simon met with the couple every Saturday for months. And each time they would do a hypnosis session. In these ses- in these sessions, they tried to focus on the period of missing time that occurred between the beeps that they heard while in the car. Each session would be done separately. They were not hypnotized together. Okay, that's the next question. Overall, they accumulated 11 hours of recorded hypnosis. Wow. During the sessions, Barney and Betty could be heard crying, yelling, and also displaying dis- displaying panicked behavior. Terrifying. But I'm not going to share with you what was on the tapes until next week. Mm. So for now... That's all I'm leaving you with. Bing, bong, bing. I also think that I could not be hypnotized. And I don't I know. Like, I'm going to be hypnotized. Like, like, I don't think. My brain is, like, constantly thinking. And I wonder if it's something with, like, the neurodivergent, like, ADHD type thing where it's, like, my brain is, like, constantly going that I can't. Like, even when we're, like, trying to do, like, past life regression type things, it's, like, clear your mind and I'm like am I clearing it properly am I doing it and then it's like see a door I'm like okay make yourself do this make yourself I'm like so I don't know I think I would be up to trying Mm -hmm. it but I don't know if it would work yeah but I'm excited to see what happens with the hills right because I I've known about the hills it's like it's like the infamous like you know alien abduction type thing but i don't think i knew their story the, yeah i mean same like i've yeah. heard about you everybody has like heard of them yeah but really heard their story and i think the only thing or i think the first time this is shameful but the first time that i actually heard about them i think was like on an american horror story episode they had I think they were, I don't know if their names are Barney and Betty Hill, but it seemed to be very similar to. Okay. Yeah. Like it's like a, like a, an, an ode to, or like a, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, so, Dana, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. I want to hear what you have. Okay. So for me, it's, I'm going to start with a story first. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, so today I'm going to start with a story that is oftentimes billed as an urban legend. So follow along and jog your memory a bit, and let's begin. You're driving alone at night. It's a long stretch of road. Just you and the music is playing. It could even be a window-worthy night. But the trees are looming in the light of the moon. And just as soon as the joy of the moment settles upon you, you just as quickly feel the tension shift. Something is near. No, 
someone or maybe you're on that same road and there's no service on your phone no your phone is dead and you don't know what direction you're supposed to be traveling in you're completely lost but luck is on your side and you see someone a young lady on the side of the road so you ask her for directions and you even offer her a ride if she helps you out and she agrees only to disappear into the night before or soon after arriving at the destination. Does it sound familiar? Do you know where I'm going with this? This is a timeless phenomenon, a phantom hitchhiker of sorts. We've heard in urban legends, we've seen it on the shows, but there's one place where more often than not that is tied to the origin of this famous hitchhiking ghost and that is resurrection cemetery just outside of illinois and one of the most famous residents resurrection mary Ooh. maybe i have, have you I? might have i think you might have so one of the first recorded encounters of mary was by a gentleman named jerry paulus and the year was 1939 and at a chicago dance hall where jerry was regularly seen it was there that Jerry first saw her, a beautiful blonde, about 5'7", with shoulder-length curls and a very fancy white dress. Jerry was instantly enamored with her and danced the night away with her. Despite the amount of time he spent with her, Jerry wasn't able to garner that much information about her besides her name, Mary, and that she was from the south side of town on, I think it was, Damon Avenue. Like I said, they danced the night away, and when the evening was coming to an end, they left together, Jerry wanting to see her home. And while they were heading that way, Mary told him, Mary apparently told him, well, you might as well take me down to Archer Road. Now, this confused Jerry because I don't know the layout of Chicago exactly, and I'm sorry for my lack of geography lessons today, but he was confused because Archer Road was not in the direction of where she originally told him she was from. So he tells her as much, but she's insistent that she wants to go by ways of Archer Road. So he agrees, and down Archer Road they go. And along the drive, Jerry is asking her why she wanted to come down this way, when all of a sudden, Mary tells him to stop. Stop, she says. I need to get out here. Jerry stops, and he's confused as all get out, because they've stopped in front of Resurrection Cemetery. They both get out of the car, and Mary says, please, just wait here. And then she walks towards the cemetery, and as Jerry describes it, she disappears before his very eyes. Now, I don't know how long Jerry lingered there, if he screamed and hid in his car, or if he did like that drop sweat and ran after her, but Jerry was not at all put off by the disappearance of Mary. Because the very next day, he was like, I need to find out where she is. I need to find out more about her. So apparently, Jerry went out to Damon Avenue, where Mary said she lived. And I don't know if she told him a house number or not, but Jerry was on a mission. So he knocks on a door, and he asked if there was a Mary who lived there. And the woman told him she saw her, but no Mary is in the house. And he looks over her shoulder and he onto a mantle, and he sees a picture. And he's like, no, ma'am. That's the Mary I'm talking about there. And the lady at this point is obviously distraught. And she tells him, I was telling them the truth when I said, no, Mary lives here. Because that was my daughter, Mary, who had been dead for five years. Wow. 
So it had been reported that at the time it dawned on Jerry that there was a reason that something was so familiar about Mary, and that was her touch. Jerry, who had worked at a funeral home, was aware that the ice-cold touch of Mary was like the touch of a corpse. Ooh, yucky. Yeah. However, there was no report of what exact house this was and what exact Mary this was, you know, like Mary Smith, you know. Mm -hmm. But there are a few ideas about who she could be and her ties to the cemetery at Archer Road. Now, there was a man who named Richard Crow, who was a historian and folklorist in the area. And during his research, he came to the conclusion that the Mary in question was Mary Bergovi, who was killed in a car accident in 1934, which follows in the timeline of just five years ago, you know, when, when Jerry saw her. She was a month shy of turning 21, and she was buried in her favorite white dress in Resurrection Cemetery. Now, Jerry's was the first sighting, but it would not be the last. So we'll get into a little more of the sightings and mysteries of Mary. So Mary gets her full moniker, Resurrection Mary, obviously from her final resting place. And it's said that the main sightings and interactions take place between this Richard Road on Archer Avenue, between the cemetery and what was once the O. Henry Ballroom which is at one point late renamed the Willowbrook Ballroom, and I think it's gone now. And it's in Willow Springs, and I think this is in Justice, Illinois, so it's not exactly Chicago, but, like, Chicago-adjacent type thing. Suburb. Yeah. And I wonder if, like, the O. Henry Ballroom was the hall that Jerry was at. Because it never said what ballroom or dance club he was in, but... But besides Jerry, we'll come out of the 30s and move forward. There was a time in 1973 that Mary is believed to have shown up at least twice in one month at a far Southwest dance club named Harlow's. So a lot of dance clubs she goes to and witnesses at this time described her as wearing a dress that looked like a faded wedding gown. Hmm. A manager of the club said this of Mary and I quote, she had big spooly curls coming down from from a high forehead. She was really pale, like she had powdered her face and her body. So you have this lady who was dancing alone in a noticeably strange attire. Because you have to think about it. If it was her favorite dress from the 30s, in the 70s, it's going to look, you know, dated. But what's interesting is she's so, like, standoutable. Like, she's like this weird, pale woman. But the bouncers at the door carted every guest that came in. And no one ever saw her come in or leave. Mm. So like she got in there, but it's like, who are you? That same year, there was a, there's a place called Chet's Medley Lounge, which is across the street from the cemetery. And there was this cab driver who comes in. He's rushed. He's annoyed. He's like, where is my fare? Where's the person just in my car? And the manager's like who was in your car and he's like a blonde girl where is she she never paid and the manager is basically like i can't help you but a blonde woman never came in here basically like she got in the cab like, need to take me here and it like, gets out of the cab and he's like i drove you <laughs> where's my money and she's also taken to playing chicken in the road kind of i'm just saying chicken where you know there's lying there and cars swerve to avoid her often leaving the drivers rattled because they're like, I hit somebody. Where are they? 
And they oftentimes like called the cops, be like, this is back in the 70s and 80s. So they like go find somewhere to call the cops and be like, hi, I think I hit someone on Archer Road and there's no one there. I do love how she just feels like some like dramatic young woman. She's like, like huh? she goes to dance parties and she ponders about the meaning of existence while wishing cars would just run her over, <laughs> like all of us. Right? Go ahead, hit me. And there's a term that a lot of people who study this sort of thing basically describe it as as quote a spectral jaywalker that is when a ghost or apparition walks or simply appears in front of a moving vehicle and one such story of this spectral jaywalking is when a justice police officer a cop himself called an ambulance because he said he hit a woman in but this one he said a bloody white a bloody white dress which i've never i haven't seen her bloody before but if she died in a car accident, well, that yeah. aspect of it, you know? So he calls the ambulance after hitting a woman in a bloody white dress who was wandering the road in front of the cemetery. And the paramedics arrive, and there's no trace of this distressed woman. And according to some sources on the topic of this exact event, the officer this has happened to, he said he was going to go on a, like, a national show that was called That's Incredible and tell his experience. And apparently when he was planning to do so, his higher up said, basically, if you do this, you're going to be fired from your position. And he was like, "Mm, nope, I'm going to tell my story. He did. And at least by some local accounts, he was actually like relieved of his duties. (gasps) Which I mean, if you think about it in a non-paranormal aspect, being like, you think you hit someone and you think it was a ghost because there were no, no bodies ever found. It's like, yeah. as like a public servant, it's a little it's bit questionable. Reputation. Yeah. <laughs> what? He was the one that thought he hit somebody? Yeah, he thought he hit her. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can under, I yeah. can see. I can see the aspect of being like, you're a cop. You thought you hit someone in a bloody dress. You did call for help, yay. But there was no body found and no one ever attributed this. Either you have... There's a lot going on. We can't really deal with that. And then in the year 1980, there was a woman named Claire Rudnicki, and she was driving along in front of the cemetery when she too spotted spotted Mary. And she's described as this, and I'm going to quote this verbatim. It says, I really didn't think there was any ghost. You hear these stories and these old ghost tales, but it's never happened to me. But now I must say, I think I'm changing my mind. I was just looking out the window as we were going down the street. On the right-hand side of the road, there was a girl walking. She was bright, very bright, like illuminating. She was just walking very slowly. I remember thinking, oh my God, it's Resurrection Mary. And I can feel my stomach start to turn. I was very frightened. I have to admit that it did scare me. And Claire's husband, Mark, was also in the car. And he said, we all went past it, turned around, and came back. And by the time we gotten back to where we'd originally seen her, it was gone, vanished. And all I can think of was a lady, like, running and hiding when a car came back around. I mean, if I was, like, walking, maybe all glowing, and a car, like, banged a Yui in front of me, I'd be like, nope, not today. So, I mean, there was... What? They would, 100%, they would not find me. No, like even like ghost or not like no mm -mm, you came back way too soon i can't one second and in october of 1989 there was a woman named janet kalal and a friend they were out for an evening drive i mean my kind of thing just drive 
drive by a cemetery also. And after about an hour, they found themselves at Resurrection Cemetery. It was then that Janet recalled a pale young woman stepped in front of her car. There was no impact. There was no bump to say that you knew you had hit something. But I know she ran out and I hit her. She was in all white and her hair and her dress were flowing back. Like it was like a stream backwards, you know, away from her. And I saw the profile of a young woman. Now, I just, I just, if this situation happened to you where you know that you hit something, but you didn't feel an impact, would you get out and investigate it? It depends. I would. What do you mean? You, did she say you know you hit something, but you didn't feel an impact? Yeah. Yeah. How do you know you hit something then? Like, I feel like if you like see someone running out and there's like, there's no other explanation, like a logical on this plane of existence that. I had to have hit her. There's no way she like jumped my car. I'd definitely pull over and look around. Mm. I'd be like, hello. And then I think I would like look around a bit. Like, but like, cause especially if it's like vehicle versus object, there's not gonna be like a quick moving distance. So I'd be like, if they're not here, I'd be like, I think I hit something. I think I would. I think I would tell someone to be like, "Hey, it depends where, what time of what time of the life it is. Is it the eighties or is it? Yeah, like it's it's a Janet story. Janet. Yeah, I Pretend think you're Janet. Yeah, so I'm Janet. I have OCD, and I legitimately one of the the stories that your OCD tells you is like, did I hit something? Did I like was that bump really a person? So uh-huh. it like I would always think that I hit yeah something. I think I have to tell someone like I think I hit someone I couldn't find anything I looked on this area especially would you we shouldn't be surprised but you guys are so much better than me because I'd say no no <laughs> God has gifted me the chance to start over <laughs> like would you look though no you wouldn't look at all I would drive away there's no impact <laughs> there's no bump there's nothing trying to come over the dashboard or like showing any signs of life so you wouldn't you well so I think I would be spooked to be by a cemetery anyway. So I would absolutely be like, this is a ghost. We are going home. Okay. So like, if you hit something in general, you'd stop. Yeah. You're not a murderer. No, I'm not a murderer. Thank if you. I hit a body, I'm absolutely stopping. <laughs> Thank I you. almost ran over a squirrel today and cried about it. So. Okay. So I was like, I need everyone to know she's not a heartless monster. I was like, she means in this situation with a ghost. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> Now, there was an article that I read that made a suggestion as to why Mary's ghost was super prevalent in the 30s, close to her time of death, and then suddenly again in, like, the 70s and 80s. Now, it was suggested that Mary's family, whoever they may be, because obviously there are a lot of theories about who she may be, I really feel the Bergovi one is the one who Mary is associated with or who she is anyway they may have not had enough money at the time to have a permanent gravesite for her and it introduced a term to me which i had not previously known which is called a quote term grave which is when the family of the deceased rent a plot to hold the remains of their loved ones for a certain amount of time that's so and sad don't give capitalism that idea now right and the most common one like length is like 25 years but during the time of all this happening, it was suggested that all of those related or connected to Mary died, 
So when her term was up, her coffin was moved to an unmarked grave on the cemetery, which is, you know, the opposite of, like, resting in peace. So she was just, you know. So that was a term I never heard of. I'm really hoping that is something that is of the past. Mm -hmm. And those who were connected to that have the peace they need. Because there is just so much more of her being restless after that time. You know, her soul is restless. Because there's a cop who, after the department received a report of a woman in a in white walking through the grounds of the cemetery he took a look around the area and when he looked at the gates there was no woman in the white to be found but he did find two bars pried apart with with scorch marks where a pair of hands would have gripped them oh wow and i even saw a comment on the forum of an episode of unsolved mysteries that deals with this topic and I wanted to read that one with you because it goes along with like what was mentioned. It's by a person that their name on the forum was Tina Kurowski. And they posted this in 2021. So still very recently. And they said, and I quote, I used to work at the horse stables close by. One Halloween, we were taken by my friend's mom to the main entrance. The gates were obviously closed, but I could tell you the iron bars on them were pulled apart with some embedded thumbprints on them. There is no way something human could do that. Even if the bars were welded hot, because how, even when they're heated, can someone do that? I've also watched those bars change several times over in the late 70s and the early 80s, only to have the bars pulled apart again with the embedded thumbprints. Hmm. So apart from hitchhiking, she's literally leaving her mark, which no thank you, because once again, that energy you have to do to move something, let alone metal. Now, there was another experience. I don't know. I think this could be tied to the cop one before that this would be the original thing where a man was driving past the cemetery and he looked over and he saw a woman standing behind the bars of the gates grasping at them. And in a panic, he's thinking something happened. She's locked in the cemetery. Can't get out. I'm going to go report to the police to go aid the woman in question. So the cops, like, like before I said, they came out cemetery is empty and of course you're thinking she got out or she wasn't actually locked in he just looked and maybe she was leaning against the outside you know or maybe it's like our cemetery growing up and there was an easier way out than a simple gate which i don't know so i know if our cemetery ever actually had its gates closed which i mean even if they did it wouldn't really hold anyone in like besides vehicles because the surrounding perimeter was also just like bushes. There was no actual fence. Yeah. Just trees and bushes. Which, you know, leads to my own wandering ghost experience as a child. You're what? Do you never hear about that? I don't think so. So when I was, side note, side note. When I was in middle school, my friend Crystal and I were I walking along at night. And we saw this lady like limping or walking really staggeringly towards us. And we were on the so it was cemetery, tr- like low trees, bushes, and then the road we were on. So it was like literally abutting it. And she's walking, and I'm like, I don't know this person. She's walking kind of strangely, and all of a sudden we're like we're we're freaking ourselves out, and all of a sudden she stops and just turns and just like walks straight into the woods, mm-hmm. like towards the cemetery. Yeah, wow. and I was like, ah. and we ran home screaming and crying. Did I pee my pants? I bet. <laughs> I did. Yeah. And yeah, so I was like, we was we saw something. We were freaked out. 
So, anywho, upon their arrival, they find the cemetery empty of any living soul. But they go through the gates, only to see the gates are still closed, but her mark was there with the bars pried apart. Now, this is interesting. And they, they say, the impression of the hands, they were described as smaller in nature, the handprints. Like, feminine-esque. Okay, I was wondering that. Because when the condition of the bars were brought to the attention of the cemetery management, it's rumored or reported that they actually called officials from the Archdiocese of Chicago, mm. who allegedly removed the imprinted bars and whisked them away. Which, when it comes to the Archdiocese and all the like Catholic and chaotic things with Supernatural, I want to know what they do with it. Yeah, 100%. Because, so- what? The, bar- the bars the or gate? anything they take yeah. away type thing because i my brain goes the fictional thing like da vinci code or national treasure s right. and thinking all like the secret tunnels just being kept below let's the say, vatican yeah let's say that they you found out that they kept all of the things that they have taken from exorcisms from like a location yeah. like the gates and they have them in a secret location a museum of sorts, if you want to call it that, would you, if you found a way, if you found yourself there, would you enter? Thing is, I probably would enter because they're collected there, yes, and they're like creepy things. But the thing is, nothing's happened that I know of, obviously, in that area. If I know like nothing's happened, they're they're, like behind like safeguarding stuff, then maybe I would go. It depends on location and like the the amount of things they have and the severity of the things they have. I yeah, feel like. that's true because like I mean you obviously can't touch it, but like yeah, is it bad to say ghost names? I don't think so. Okay, so like all that like Annabelle stuff. Mm, she's not a ghost. She's like a demon, I think. Okay, so is it bad to say that name? I don't know. Anyway, go on. All right. Well, I'm gonna get some salt, but like you can see the doll. Like, mm-hmm. the doll exists, and you can right. see it behind glass. Yeah. And, like, people are like, just don't touch it. Yeah. Yeah. They have and a video. Fine. I don't know if they still have it, but there used to be a live video that people could pay for to to basically look inside the haunted museum of the War- Warrens. The Warrens, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause I know, like, but I know there's certain things that, like, I know there's certain, like, haunted dolls or things like that that like even like saying the name is not good i don't think she's one okay but there's other ones that like but so it's like as long as they feel like as long as they feel like there's certain protections or i'm not going to touch the things i might look at them maybe yeah. but i don't think they just throw it away right no i don't think so so i feel like they couldn't guarantee that it would be safely handled like yeah anybody exactly it's like burn it you know it's like properly close it out so where is it what is it that is a conspiracy i can get behind a little softly but anywho the cemetery said the bars were returned and repaired and the bent bars were actually welded back to normal Though many think they were simply replaced. So there's like a couple sides of this. Those who don't think they were replaced are some when they think the bent bars were as a result of a worker actually backing up into the gate and accidentally bending it. And that the handprints were transferred from the gloves worn by a crew worker that had to weld the bar backs so he could prop and then kind of bend it to shape it back. 
But weren't they bent with the fingerprints? I th- yeah, I think like handprints, I think. Oh, yeah. So not long after the removal of the damaged bars, the cemetery officials installed what they called the quote repaired bars, insisting that they had been back to normal and not replaced. And in response to that, there are those who have the rebuttal that believed in the supernatural aspect of it. They say that the supposed welding was done to remove evidence because they continue to imply that the witnesses refer to the handprints as well defined and dainty like small right. and feminine yeah. which doesn't really fit the quote stereotypical welder like i know there are female welders out there mm-hmm. if you were using a glove too that's oh, yeah. not dainty mark it doesn't matter if it's you're not. a feminine if you have a feminine hand or not they're not like latex gloves yeah, that fit the form of your yeah, hand. Exactly. I mean, I worked in cremation aspect, and the gloves that handle high heat are equivalent, and they're like, yeah, the yeah. finger aspect, but they're equivalent to like, like ones we use were like shiny, like oven mitts. It's like wearing a shoe on your hand. Yeah, it's like, they're they're thick. I remember putting it on like this is like whoop, you know, you 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 break it in so it gets more you know bendy for you, but. They're not going to be like, here's my latex glove handprint. Regardless of what side of the bars discussion you land on, there's is still the fact that two parts of the gate that were there, they remain discolored in comparison to the remainder of the gate. Moreover, it is rumored that no paint or primer tends to work there. You know, the welded area where the handprints of the bending might have been. But as of 2019... And I saw some videos as of 2022, those two bars are now gone. Taken down for whatever reason remains fully unknown. And I'll leave you on this final note. Across the street from Resurrected Cemetery is that bar called Chet's Melody Lounge. I told about it earlier with, with the cabbie. Now Chet's is a classic quintessential roadside bar. Pool table, jukebox, drinks, and bikers. But being that this episode, like all episodes, airs on a Sunday, let's share the unusual tradition that Chet's has. Every Sunday, the staff leaves a Bloody Mary at the end of the bar for the ghost, Mm. an ode to the girl long gone who just wants to go home, wherever home may be. So raise a glass to Mary, everyone. Here, here, Mary. And raise to Mary. And here's to you, dear listeners. Thank you again for joining us on another tumultuously fun episode of Scary Stories to Tell Your Sister. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Scary Sisters Pod. And you can email us any questions, concerns, compliments, or stories to our email, which is scarysisterspod at gmail.com. Until next time, everyone, stay safe and stay spooky. Megan? Love you. Bye. Adios. Oh, oh, oh.